you know, when we talk about most challenging, proudest way, yeah. you go, most challenging? Yeah, I mean, challenges come up all the time. Yeah. It's... What was the... Challenging was getting it started. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. It wasn't uh, something that a lot of people thought, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Uh-huh. The subject is UAB. This is UAB Memories, where we get nostalgic and share the memories people have made over the years at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. I'm Will Shingleton, producer and host of the Memories Podcast. And in today's Memories, we get to jump through a few hoops and cut some red tape to get a few of UAB's programs off the ground. When you look on UAB's website, you can find pages for dozens and dozens of academic programs, sports teams, and campus groups. But none of those got there by accident. And in a lot of cases, it took some serious moving and shaking to get them where they are today. Usually, a few things have to happen. First, you have to be able to demonstrate that the campus needs what you're trying to create. People are going to need to be convinced. Which brings us to the second thing, which is having people involved who are just as patient as they are passionate. These things take time, largely because so many wheels have to turn to get a project funded. Which also means that the third thing, which is having a few well-placed friends, is an absolute necessity. Other than that, I guess it's pretty easy. We're going to go through the early stages of three different groups at UAB. And we're going to start in chronological order, all the way back in the mid-60s, with the UAB School of Optometry. Like I mentioned, step one is establishing a need, and there definitely was one. Around the country, there was about to be a significant increase in the number of people who were going to have access to health care. Medicaid was created in 1965, and Medicare followed it in 1966. And even before that, it was obvious that America needed a lot more medical professionals. So in 1961, Alabama Senator Lister Hill proposed the Health Professions Education Assistance Act in the U.S. Senate, which would help schools get more funding for things like financial aid, new buildings, and special projects. But as Dr. John Amos and Dr. John Classé describe, it took a group of very determined Alabamian optometrists to take up the cause and bring it to Dr. Joseph Volker, who was the VP of Health Affairs at the time. But that meeting didn't go quite like they had anticipated it would. Dr. Volker explained that all new programs were approved and funded by the legislature. But he wasn't against them, but at least they kind of had a roadmap, so they knew they had to legislatively. I mean, this is a, a small, small organization, maybe 200 people, no executive director. This was all going to be on the backs of the optometrists themselves. I might have one comment, Jim, um, where they didn't have an idea about how you went about it. No. And the other thing he told them was um, if they were going to go to the legislature and ask the state of Alabama to pay for this, they had to be able to show that there was a need. Yes. And they had the forethought to the, the Southern Research Center here uh, to go to that center and um, you know, ask if they could do a study, which was performed. And in fact, um, it showed, not surprisingly, that there was a great need for eye care in the state. And that um, optometrists, uh, compared to ophthalmologists, were the ones who were distributed in the rural areas where there was uh, the biggest need. And it therefore, um, you know, having a school of optometry made a lot of sense because they were, the, they were the practitioners who would go where there were no eye care, there was no eye care available. 
So now they had a very good idea of what they needed, why they needed it, and a passionate group of people that wanted to make it happen. They just needed a powerful supporter to help them get it over the line. And they found one. From that point on, things turned over to the state legislature, and specifically over to Senator Alton Turner from Luverne. He was the optometrist's biggest advocate in Montgomery, and he was not playing around. He was a master politician. And there were several ways you could become a school without passing specific legislation. So, in, in, you know, they had secured Turner's cooperation, and on January 17, 1967, he comes up with this idea, and he passes a Senate joint resolution to investigate the need for such a school. And this bill was signed into law by Governor Lurleen Wallace on September 6, 1967. They had approval from the highest office in the state, but they still needed funding. After a couple more years of raising money and yet another study, they finally got their breakthrough in the Senate. In 1969, after a great deal of legislative maneuvering, all of a sudden, on the last day of the special session, there was money in the education budget for a school of optometry at, UA, at, at UAMC. And that's how they got the school. I mean, it wasn't passed by vote. It was established because they had fun, funds to do it. A few months after that, on September 1st, the School of Optometry opened along with the new undergraduate campus at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. After almost a decade of studying, lobbying, and political maneuvering, Donald Springer's vision of an optometry school in Alabama had been realized. Today, the school sees 25,000-plus patients a year and is one of the best optometry schools in the country. But it all started with a need that had to be filled. Which brings us to about 20 years later, when Dr. Julia Austin came to UAB. Dr. Austin and her colleague, Dr. Susan Spazzini, helped develop the English as a Second Language program at UAB. They're two of the people who believed in the idea enough to work on it for years. And today, UAB students can get a master's in teaching English as a second language, as well as an EDS, and even a PhD. But just like the optometry school, it took a long time to get to that point. There wasn't an ESL certification available in Alabama at all until 1995. Everything at UAB up until then was folded into the English department, which is where Dr. Austin taught and it didn't have its own degree program. People didn't see that much of a need for it either. And when Dr. Austin spoke to some of the higher-ups at UAB School of Education about needing a program for ESL, she didn't get a great response. We presented this idea to them, and um, you would have thought we were proposing to, you know, like, I don't know, revolt. I don't know. It was uh, The reaction was not positive at all. And they just said, well, if we have this program and we educate these teachers, where will they work? Once we fill the need, then where are they going to find jobs? And that's not responsible to be you know, overpopulating uh, ESL teachers. And I think in the whole state, we had 54 at that time. Dr. Austin had a ton of data showing that the state needed more ESL teachers. When she started at UAB in the early 90s, she kept getting more and more calls from teachers who needed help. And she knew that UAB could help solve that problem. But for whatever reason, 
people weren't on board yet. However, Dr. Joe Burns, who was the chair for curriculum and instruction at the time, was. And even though there wasn't a ton of support for the idea yet, he had an alternative idea. They should just do it anyway. Joe and I were walking out together, and he just turned and looked at me. And he just stopped, and he's very quiet, you know, and he just looked at me and he said, we're going to do this. It may just be the two hours, but we're going to do this. He said, this needs to be done. We have to do this. And that's how it started. And just like that, UAB had an ESL program. They taught their first three-hour course that summer to 17 students. But they knew that they couldn't stop there. To expand the program, they knew they were going to have to get more support. Dr. Austin wrote up a grant proposal to try and get future graduate students help with tuition, but it wasn't reviewed very well. And it needed to be great before they submitted it, because if it got denied, they'd have to wait another five years to try again. And to increase their chance of success, they hedged their bet. They submitted two different grants and had plans in place in case one of them got approved. So you can understand their surprise, and maybe even panic, when they got both of them. You're euphoric at first because you get two, and it is so exciting. And then, after a few minutes, it kind of, maybe half an hour, it kind of sinks in that, oh my God, we got two. What are we going to do? We had planned, you know, who would run one, and mm-hmm. if that one didn't work, she'd run the other one. <laughs> yeah. But now suddenly, we had two grand, and, you know, so it's like, oh dear, we have to do all that work we proposed. So now that they had funding for the program, they needed someone to come in and run the thing, which led Dr. Austin to recruit Dr. Spazzini, who is still the ESL program director. And when she officially came on the job in 2003, she hit the ground running. I came January 6, 2003, and took over the grant. And of course, as soon as I get here, she goes, tomorrow, we're going to Alabaster. And I didn't know what Alabaster was. And just I had to learn all these places, and within a couple months, she says, now we have to write the annual report here. (laughs) I I mean, I just got here. After all their efforts, the ESL program has filled the need that they identified when it started, even when people doubted that that need ever existed. And they're pretty proud of that. The people that had said, oh, those English learners, they're not, that's just a wave, that's just a fad. There won't be any more. Once they learn English, We don't need these teachers that are trained anymore. And the numbers keep growing. We think a conservative estimate is that our average alum will teach or reach 30 English learners in a year. So if the average is 30 English learners per year right now, and there's 700 plus alumni, that means that this year alone, 21,000 English learners were taught by our alumni in just the current year. One thing that we haven't really discussed yet is how these programs are shaped by the political and cultural landscape of the time. In the case of the optometry school, the passing of the HPEA law and the establishment of Medicare and Medicaid helped open the door for the school's foundation. Public opinion of the ESL program, which, as we mentioned, was already a hurdle to begin with, was threatened even more by the passing of the Homeland Security Act of 2002, right after 9-11. And for our last group, the campaign for change really began after a tragedy. In 1999, a gay man named Billy Jack Gaither was murdered outside of Sylacauga, and his killing sparked a statewide conversation about hate crimes. 
and it made people at UAB, like Dr. Glinda Elliott, realize that something needed to be done. When that happened, that horrific murder happened so close to home, we decided that something needed to be done at UAB to break the silence on issues that related to the gay and lesbian community. Dr. Elliott, who at that time was a professor in UAB's counselor education program, knew that this was a very important, but also very sensitive issue. And because of that, they were going to need to start big picture. So they organized a forum called Breaking the Silence on Gay and Lesbian Issues at UAB. And it was a great start. We had faculty, staff, and students involved. And out of that forum, two initiatives were identified. One was to encourage the administration to expand the non-discrimination policy to include sexual orientation and to develop services for students. Mm -hmm. So that's where the need came. There was no protection for faculty, staff, and students in employment or in student life. Uh, The state doesn't require it. The UAB non-discrimination policy did not include that protection. So that was a great need. So now that they had established a need, and they had someone to help lead the charge, they needed the last key ingredient, an advocate. We were fortunate that in our group were some prominent faculty members. I'm not identifying myself as one of those in, in, this, in, this, in this case. Uh, the person I'm thinking of is Dr. Janet Bronstein, mm-hmm. who was president of the faculty senate either just before the forum or during the forum or right after. I'm not sure. But she, she's a very important part of the history of this. And Dr. Bronstein, along with another administrator named Dr. Virginia Gall, suggested that they look around the southeast and see what other schools were doing to solve this problem. So they did. And after an extensive survey, this is what they found. Out of all the Conference USA schools, UAB was the only one that did not have something, either a committee that was focusing on gay and lesbian issues or a designated staff member in student life whose responsibility was was to provide services. And that, and plus Vanderbilt already had an established safe zone, uh, safe zone program, and other universities did too, and I had that information and, and gave all of that to her, and she said, this is what I need. I think we can get something started. And what they ended up with was a proposal for the UAB Safe Zone program. Out of a brutal act of xenophobia, Dr. Elliott and UAB created one of its most inclusive and important organizations. Clubs and schools and degree programs don't just appear out of thin air. They take time, devotion, patience, and a lot of help. Every program has a story. We've just given you three, but there are so many that we literally can't tell all of them. And each one has had people who've given their time and effort to make them happen. So the next time you join a campus organization, or sign up for a class, take a minute to try and learn how it got there. Because chances are, someone else has spent a lot of minutes campaigning to give you that chance. I'm Will Shingleton, and today, we remember people at UAB who created opportunities. <laughs>